Welcome to the Energy Fellows podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry. Enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to TCS.com. That's TCS.com. Welcome to another episode of the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansbury, your host. Uh, Today, we have a great guest with us that I have looked forward to having on our show. And so we'll be discussing some things here very shortly. But I do want to mention about the rating and review section under the show notes. Please go there. Give us a rating and a review. I'd like to hear from you. and like to hear about what we're doing right. I didn't say anything about wrong. I said, <laughs> but, you know, please give us some things that we should be doing and give us some advice. We'd like to hear from you and the people you'd like to have on the show, topics that you'd like to have as well. Also, there's a survey under the show notes. It takes about 10 seconds to fill out, if that. And by filling that out, we'll provide you some uh, stickers for your hard hat or laptop, wherever you want to put that as well. I'm very excited to share with you, and I've shared with you in the last few weeks that we've been, have a nomination for Heartland Emmy for the documentary, Heart, as far as a Heartland Emmy, for Sherwood Forest Top Secret. And I will keep you advised on that, but we hope you'll go to pbs.org and some other locations to see the film, and we'd like uh, your input on that as well. Also, the book, The America Needs America's Energy, Creating Together the People's Energy Plan, written back in 2012, is still available, but we have a monograph that came out last fall. It's called America Needs America's Energy, and it's natural resources. It's a complement, supplement that is, to the book, and I hope you'll look at that on Barnes & Noble or Amazon for eBooks. And then the column in the Woman Magazine, it's our 10th year. 10th year, I've served as a contributing editor, and I hope you will take a chance (laughs) or opportunity in your schedules, that is, to look at the columns that we have, not only mine, but uh, the Woman Magazine, Energies Magazine, Old Woman Magazine, and the leader of that is Emmanuel Sullivan, publisher of Woman Magazine. So please tune into that or look at that as well. I wanted to mention also that we have sponsors that we're very proud to have with us. And so please note in the show notes our sponsorships as well as the OGGN family. We really appreciate everyone there. Thanks to the team and to the leadership there. Well, today we have with us someone that I, like I said, have been looking forward to having on this show. And he's a leader in, in media as far as broadcasting, journalism, writing. And Paul, welcome. Paul Wiseman, to the Energy Fellows Podcast. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate you having me on today, and I'm looking forward to the conversation as well. Well, we've looked forward to it, and I don't know where to begin other than the fact that probably the best place is to let people know about you. I know somewhat in the past all the things that you've uh, aspired for, seems like. At the same time, more specifics I need to hear from you on and like to hear more about you. And Paul, I go back about a little over 10 years ago when he interviewed me for a paper that he was writing for at the time, and he did a great job on that. Made me sound good, so that makes me feel even better. <laughs> so, Paul, if you will, tell us about your background. In fact, take your time. From the early days on, people like hearing this because there's students out there. There are those that have been in the oil and gas business, energy business for a long time. They also like to hear about all the experiences you've had. And so, please take your time and tell us about yourself. 
Sure. Well, thank you, Mark. And it's uh, very easy to make you sound good because you're a very articulate spokesman for the industry and in wow. general. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for the intro. I'll start with a more brief history. I started writing in the oil and gas industry in 1995. I was doing some contract work, both editorial and advertorial for the Midland Reporter Telegram. And if you're in Midland, Texas, whatever you're doing, whether you're writing for the newspaper or selling groceries, you're in the oil business. So it was easy for me to, well, there's a lot of opportunity, I'll say, for me to learn about the oil and gas industry. And then as things evolved in the last few years, newspapers have changed. I moved on from there to writing for some industry publications. I've had some ghostwritten stories placed in Oilman magazine, and I write under my byline for the Permian Basin Oil and Gas magazine that goes out to members of the PBPA every month. been doing that for seven, eight years now, and I'm doing some writing for Heart E&P. I've been doing that. Uh, I've placed some ghostwritten articles there a while back, and for about the last year or so, I've been doing about an article a month for them. Mm-hmm. I also do blogging and uh, website writing and things like that for some individual clients. I guess I was always interested in writing, and I used to, growing up, I would sit in my bedroom as an only child, and I would play DJ. Mm -hmm. I would get the records out, and I would pretend I was announcing, and some some of my my heroes growing up were some of the DJs there in Dallas where I grew up, and uh, also people like Johnny Carson and and people like that like being funny and, and witty. So I did work in radio for five and a half years and then moved on to work for a market research company for about 10 years. And then I started, my wife and I actually put together a business for the Middle and Reporter Telegram where we would manage an advertorial page that they did in the process of, because that was about writing for business, that was a business to consumer writing. Then uh, they'd also ask me to do some writing on the editorial side. So I was a unique creature back in the 90s doing a little bit of work for both sides of the wall there in newspapers. So it's something that I've written about. One of the things I tell people that I do for a living is I talk to engineers and translate that into English. (laughs) But one of the things I've gotten the privilege to interview also is to do some personal profiles and company profiles, and that may be my favorite, is telling people stories. I've had the privilege to interview Clayton Williams before he passed away. Yeah, what a history there. Yes, and he's a great interview because he loves, I'll have to say past tense, he's passed away, unfortunately, but he loved to tell his stories. And uh, I can imagine him around the campfire, you know, and (laughs) and eating somewhere out in his ranch in West Texas. But we were in his office at the time, and it was a great experience doing that. But I've had the opportunity to to interview a number of other people like Don Sparks and uh, Brian Sheffield, Autry Stevens, and people like that. And it's just, I love hearing their stories, how they, how they persevered through different things and uh, become very successful. And there's a lot of those stories in the Permian Basin and, and elsewhere, of course, but that's where my, uh, and I don't live in the Permian Basin anymore, I live outside of New Orleans now, uh, the family move there, but it's still oil and gas here as well. So I love writing about the industry and energy in general, because that's what fuels everything else we do. No question. And how things have changed over the years. You know, you talked about the oil and gas sector and where we are today. It's amazing the the journey that I know we both have had and seen also the results. I can remember uh, just the first time using a fax machine. Well, technology along has advanced quite rapidly and on a moment-by-moment basis almost now to AI and robotics and things like that. What subjects are you seeing or people are requesting, I guess, on information? I'm sure you have those that 
within the industry and those that are not in the industry that are concerned about our energy future and have their ideas, their concepts, and things like that. What are you seeing that is being addressed the most, and maybe one or two, three items there that are coming to the forefront that you're seeing? Well, inside the industry, I think enhanced oil recovery is one of the top things. I've written a lot about that because, you know, we're seeing the shale plays. Historically, they've left 90 plus percent of the oil down there, and we knew that to start with. And now the best plays are starting to We've got the low-hanging fruit there, so to speak. So with drilling getting expensive and everything, a lot of people, universities and companies are really working on on EOR and IOR because we have to do that to extend the future of oil, I think, is its existence. Because otherwise, one of the things about the energy transition is I think it's being pushed too hard right now. But at some point, some in 100 years or whatever, we (laughs) we will run to get to where there isn't enough oil to go around. So some kind of transition will be necessary, but I think it works a lot better when it's natural rather than forced mm-hmm. on people. And so I think that the energy transition, there are a lot of questions about how it's going to work or if it's going to work. I think the massive amount of investment, I think it's most of what I've seen, I have done some writing in that industry. For any industry, I try to come at it from the honest standpoint, not try to build up things that aren't there and make cases that can't be made. And I realize it makes me sort of an outlier (laughs) in a lot of areas, but I just don't see how by 2030 or 2035 that without completely destroying the economies and and nations, that anything can actually be made, the changes can be made on that scale. Should we be looking for it? Sure, because like I said, it's going to come eventually, but there's a whole lot better ways to go about it than this mad rush to spend billions of dollars on something that we I don't know if it can be done in, in five years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beyond in, enhanced oil recovery, I know that what you're talking about is true because there's so many other subjects in the forefront that lead to that. Because if we take electric vehicles itself, all the components that come from the one gas sector or providing the oil and natural gas for certain products, I mean, you're looking at wind the same way and solar they work together, not separately. I think that that's the difficult part, Paul. And I don't know how to handle that because the literacy part for energy literacy is definitely, I thought we were moving forward at one point, but it seems like we've come quite a ways, but still a long way to go because there are those that don't understand that we all basically work together, sectors work together within this sector and not just separately. How are companies combating that? I mean, how are they perceiving that? Well, if I could step back just a little bit of one of your other points, I was at a Louisiana Energy Conference last month, and one of the speakers there was an official with the state government. And one of the things he talked about on that as far as dealing with the transition was the position by some of the hardline green people that aren't up to any kind of compromise that won't say, we've got to take some time on this, it won't be reasonable, they're wanting to shut down pipelines now and things like that. So I think one of the things is to point out to people that you can't just summarily stop what you're doing now. It's never worked that way. The transition from whale oil to oil and gas took decades. That's right. And that was a necessity because we were running out of whales. I think looking at the long term and being reasonable about it is going to be important for everybody. And I think getting that word out, I think people like you and Alex Epstein and many others that are going around and explaining to people that you can't You have to use some logic. And if you really care about people, if you really care about humans, they talk about 
climate change and things like that. Well, today, unless as hot as it's been in Texas and Louisiana, some places, energy is what's keeping us cool. Right. We have air conditioning now to deal with that. Mm-hmm. 100 years ago, we didn't. Right. And so the irony that I see is that the climate's always been changing. We, we have geology that shows it's changed over however long you think we've been here, 6,000 years or several billion. Mm-hmm. It's changed over the years. And that, so why would we not think it's changing now? But we have the energy to deal with it now. We can run air conditioning and heating. I realize that not everybody can afford that, but the vast majority of the population can deal with that because of energy. Right. And you think of all the sacrifice that those have provided through the years to make 24-7, there's energy being produced. And accessibility is such a key part of the infrastructure, which I hear quite a bit about, is that we need more infrastructure, proper infrastructure, reliability. I talked about whether it's in Texas where the heat warnings are today and other places, or but if we don't have the right reliability, and that's why we can't transition, as you say. It's hard to just automatically shut down the oil and gas industry and move to some other sources when really oil and gas is a big part of that just in products alone. And then, of course, and it will be a very advantageous when it comes to natural gas and hydrogen. If we move to hydrogen, natural gas will be a key component there. So there's a lot of things to think about. And I know I like, like you do, Paul, I know uh, I like to turn a switch on and the electricity, you know, and here's, here's the lights and here's the air conditioning yes. and all this. And to think that that could uh, become, like when I went overseas years ago, there was a certain part of my trip where, you know, the lights would go out and the elevator would stop and all this. And I'm going, I don't really want to go to that. And I think that's where we'd be if we're not careful. I read a report a while back, I think it may have been in Oil Man magazine, where a gentleman in the oil business in one of the African countries was talking about how the green movement was telling Africa not to expand their oil and gas grid. And he pointed out, he said, some of you people in California use more electricity in your hot tub in one day than we hear here. When you guys start changing that, then we'll talk. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's hard for us. We have a lot of luxuries here. And the truth also is that the wind turbines take, I understand that takes more energy from coal to make wind turbines than you ever get back from them in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's right. I used to say the same thing about ethanol that we put in gasoline. If you want to run all your operations on ethanol and sell what's left over into the market, then I'll think we're coming out ahead. No, you're right. You know, I look at the world and where you have several billion of people that don't have the luxuries, you talk about luxuries, that we have in the inter- from the energy industry. And even though I'm in the energy industry, I sure like to know that I have these luxuries. And I call them that because it is compared to most of the world. In fact, even within our country, we have some issues that way, not providing enough where people can read with light and air conditioning and things like that. And you take billions of people that don't have those opportunities. It's not going to be wind and solar necessarily alone. Oil and gas could be a big factor for a long time, is my opinion. And you've kind of said that already. I mean, you've said, you know, we've got the oil and gas below us. Why not pursue that? What's wrong with our message? And I say that, are we getting the message? And it kind of go back to energy literacy. I feel challenged all the time is that people have made their mind up. How do you get past that? Are there organizations out there that are really more effective than others? Uh, What are you seeing? That's a good question. I wish I had a real clear answer to it. (laughs) I think just continuing to point out to people the the shortcomings in the argument of we're going to stop all this. I mean, when you stop driving to a protest in a diesel truck, when you stop organizing a protest 
for pipelines on the phone that's made mostly of plastic and rare earths that's mined by oil and gas. No human is consistent all the time. I understand that. But if you really are buying into this message, then you need to walk to your or ride a horse mm-hmm. to your meetings and even realize that the horse feed probably comes from something that was tooled by a diesel tractor. Mm-hmm. Right. I think pointing out great inconsistencies in the message is one thing. And the inconsistencies in the green movement, there was, I hesitate to mention this movie, but the, the Planet of the Humans that came out a couple of years ago, there was a lot wrong with it. But the first about 20, 30 minutes of it was pointing out the hypocrisy in the green movement. And I believe he went on from there to say that overpopulation was a problem and needed to, it went south from there. But it was interesting to see green meetings. You look behind the state, the portable stage, and there was a diesel generator behind there. And that it takes more natural gas to start a solar, uh, one of the solar farms that concentrates solar power to create steam, mm-hmm. and not the one to do it electronically. And it takes more power from natural gas to start that up than it makes the rest of the day. Right. Mm-hmm. That's correct. So pointing out the holes in the logic, you know, if somebody wants to buy some solar panels and move back to the woods and get off the grid. Hey, let's do it. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And shoot squirrels for a living. I have no. I really. I'm, that's, I'm not trying to be silly without. I understand really, where I'm, you're I'm coming not, from. Yeah. Some days I would like to do that. Yes. Yes. I understand where you're coming from. Well, please do to make us all do it when it's not time mm-hmm. and when we have spent. When we have to use fossil fuels to generate the equipment to do the renewables. It doesn't make any sense. No, definitely doesn't. And I really appreciate. I hope those that can get copies of your articles and so forth will do so because. So much can be learned from Paul Wiseman and his articles, columns, articles, and writings. Because to keep up with, you know, you need to keep up with those that you can count on, and that is Paul, because he's trustworthy writings. He looks at the facts and presents those facts. And I think in this time where we need more conversation and dialogue, we need people to have resources like yours. And so how do those, and I say all that, but how do those that uh, wanted to learn more about your articles and your writings, how do they find out about that? There's several ways. I mean, I'll give you my email address, which is paul at paulmwiseman.com. And I do have a website, but it's, I, I, to be honest, it's kind of a work in progress now. So, but that's the easiest email. I have other email addresses, but that's an easy one to remember, Paul at Paul M. Wiseman. It's W-I-S-E-M-A-N.com. And you can email me through that and I can send you links. And of course, one of the occasions for this interview right now is that I talked to you a few weeks ago for an article that will come out in the Permian Basin Oil and Gas Magazine mm-hmm. in August issue. Right. And that'll be online. That's one way to find out what started this particular conversation. You and I had, as you said, talked about 10 years ago yes. for an MRT article. And I'd be happy to work, help someone work on a project to get some reality and some sanity into the discussion because I think we can get crazy the other way too and just tell people they need to, to be quiet and get over it. And I think we, you know, what people like you and some of the others that are out there doing that are doing is pointing out the reality that we wouldn't be where we are today if it weren't for the energy from oil and gas. And at the same time, you know, can we reduce flaring? I hope so. And part of that, ironically, is by allowing pipelines to be built. Mm-hmm. <laughs> off the natural gas or to use it on site to generate electricity or to run some of these AI computers and stuff like that. And there's a lot of that going on in the Permian Basin as well. So there's a lot of ways that you know we can all do a little bit better on our own. And I guess any methane that leaks out is methane you can't send into the pipeline. So there's benefit for all things like that. But 
mainly to borrow a quote from Mark Twain, the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. The reports <laughs> of the problems of the oil and gas industry, I think, are overall greatly exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let me have that. First of all, thank you for the article that forms my interview. I really appreciate that a lot. And not only this current interview, but the current interview, but also that of the past. I really appreciate all that as well and keeping up with you. Give me, your, if you will, your email address one more time and spell it out, if you will, because I know there's those that would like to hear, you'd like to hear from sure. you. Or they'd like to contact you. P-A-U-L at? At P-A-U-L, the letter M is in Michael, my middle name, and Wiseman, W-I-S-E-M-A-N. Okay. And not any dot .com or anything like that? Just- Yes, I'm sorry, dot com. Yes, yes thank dot you. com. Okay, want to make sure. Thank you. We've got it. We've got it. We're going to put that on the show notes. So, listeners, okay. definitely uh, go to the show notes. Uh, you'll see the email to contact Paul because he has a lot to address and to talk about and issues that you may be interested in. He can give you some articles to read, which is right now, like I say, important to be able to dialogue. You know, you've had such an experience through the years, a lot of experiences through the years. And part of that goes to broadcasting, the journalism, the writings, and so forth. Do you have habits that you have that you'd like to share that's important to you and that others could pick up or tips along the way of how to do business better, and especially from the media perspective? Well, you know, just uh, contacting as many people as you can. And I think having a website, like I said, mine's kind of a work in progress right now because I've had some issues with the provider. But and also, I just haven't made time to dive into it like I really need to. But it's hard to start off by yourself. You're working with some other, I began working, like I said, in radio. And then I worked with the Middle Reporter Telegram based on the fact that my wife had worked there before and we made a presentation to the publisher. But to get out in the whatever industry you want to write for, this one or another one, there's plenty of opportunities. Get out there and I think going to conferences. Up until COVID happened, I'd been to every Permian Basin oil conference that happens in Odessa. I've been to every one from, I think, about 2004 to 2018. It's a great place to meet people and maybe to join an organization, various ones out there, and, and to get yourself known and to meet people and to learn, learn all I can about the industry and about writing. There are courses that can be taken online and things like that. I had a major at Baylor was in radio TV, but I took also a lot of journalism classes. Mm-hmm. Of course, all that's, you know, everything I took back in the day, and I'm not going to tell you what that day was, but <laughs> <laughs> things have changed a yes. lot, and writing is a lot. That even in those days, they told us to write for the newspaper at about a fifth grade level, mm-hmm. and it's probably lower than that now, shorter sentences, and definitely shorter paragraphs. Mm-hmm. If you get more than two sentences in a paragraph, they'll, they'll break it up. And it's, things are a lot more conversational now, too, like sort of what we're doing here. Now, this isn't a highly technical interview. It's right. a conversation. I think that's what people are more comfortable with. They don't want a hard sell, hard pitch. It's like, here's some information you can take and think about. You're correct on that. I find that it's all right to get into technical and really details. But a lot of times, uh, especially the title of the Energy Fellows, it's really wanting to talk about you know, your career, how does it apply now, and what can you learn from that? And, and you've done that today already. I mean, in this short period of time, there's a lot of things we've talked about, but also some advice you've given, you know, looking over things that we need to focus on. And we just not enough time as far as that goes. I mean, but usually, like you say, we're getting, especially on social media, we may get less than 30 seconds of news. And that's, and then there was the next article. And then, and now we'll have about 25, 30 minutes on this show today. That's still not enough to cover a lot of the subjects that I'd like to cover with you, actually. So I hope you'll come back. As sure. a guest, because 
we just started actually because there's so many things I know you would love to talk about, and yet we've had so many things we wanted to get at least out in front, especially your bio, at least an intro. There's more to your bio than that, I know for sure. So I'd like to hear more about your experiences. I'd like to hear more about the subjects that you've covered, and of course, then you can go to the email address to find that out. So uh, please do that, and again, in the show notes. Do you have any final words you'd like to share with us at this point, or any comments you'd like to make uh, regarding the energy industry? Well, I think I hark back to a, what comes to mind when you say that is back in the 70s, there, Alvin Toffler wrote a book called Future Shock, where he talked about how things were starting to change faster than they ever had before. I remember, yes. I think in 1975, he had no idea. <laughs> how fast things are changing today. And it's just, it's a wild ride and it's very interesting. And it's just, we have to keep our eyes open to the the world around us, unlike we ever have before. There are people in recent generations that were born like in the late 1800s who grew up in horse and buggy. And by the time they died in their 70s or in their 80s, 1969, we'd gone from horse and buggy to landing on the moon. If that isn't a radical change... (laughs) I don't know what is. I think with us, it's more incremental, but it's faster, but we just can't get overwhelmed with it. Take some personal time, take some deep breaths, and nobody's going to keep up with all of it. Just do what you can. And with all the technology, you can't lose personal connection either. Mm -hmm. And the more you keep up with writings and journalism from someone like Paul Wiseman, it helps because we've got, again, I emphasize and emphasize this throughout the program today, is that it's important to get to the right sources, and that's very vital to getting the facts out there especially when you're discussing things like energy, climate change, ESG, accessibility, reliability, whatever the issue might be. And uh, it's nice to have that resource. Well, Paul, thank you for being on this program today. We definitely want you back. And we'll definitely have some more questions and dialogue and conversation along the way. Please send those questions you might have or conversations that you'd like to have discussing issues with our guest today, Paul Wiseman. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. I enjoyed the conversation, and it will be great to be back. I'd love that. Well, that's wonderful. And keep in mind, folks, the future of energy depends on us, depends on all of us. Thank you for listening to the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansbury. Thank you. Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. OGGN.com.